Good morning. It's great to be with you guys, gathered together. Um, I have some handouts if you guys have ever listened to me talk before. I love to have PowerPoint, but I also love to leave something in your hands. So, Will Grant, one of you, <laughs> both of you. Um, so, I know that there, you know, often when I um, speak, I like to give a lot of information. And so I think it's helpful to have something that you can take with you because oftentimes we may get caught on one thing and kind of miss the rest. And that way it's something you can kind of go back to. Um, but we're going to be talking this morning about grieving the losses of our lives, of our lives um, to experience the Father's love. And this has been on my heart. Um, I love being able to speak on something that is where I'm at. And so um, this is obviously not the one of those fun topics um, necessarily, but I can tell you that this has been a place that God has encountered me um, with his love and his presence. And um, just to give a little bit of a background, I would say up until I was about maybe about five, six years ago, I had no capacity for grieving at all. I had no idea how to grieve the losses in my life. I just moved on, and I moved on, and I moved on, and I moved on. And they kept piling up um, inside of me, but I didn't have a capacity or a, a, a system or even a thought of how to get through actually a, a good process of grieving. Um, and so that's where kind of my passion for this topic comes from because I've seen the Lord encounter me. Um, the one thing that I think is kind of funny, if you've been around our community or like places that have spoken into our movement, there's a lot of different um, books, resources, people that have been very influential. And one of the things that you'll read about often, um, you may come across the, them talking about you should do a grief journal. And it's kind of funny because I've put this off for years. Like I would read it in a book or something. And I'd be like, no, I'm, you know, I'm not going to do that. Well, I signed up to take um, a couple master's level classes and I get the syllabus for my class. And wouldn't you know, I have to write a grief journal as part of my class. There was no way to get around it unless I wanted to fail, which if you know me, I really don't want to fail. So I will do the grief journal. So anyway, so I had to turn that in last week. So I think that's... Um, kind of amusing. The teacher, actually, when he talked about it, he said, how do you grade a grief journal? Like, oh, you didn't suffer enough. F, you know, or, um, but he did say one of the things that was really, you know, interesting, he did say, he said, I can tell you I've read hundreds of these, and I will tell you that if I read it and I feel like you haven't gone deep enough into it, I'll probably come back to you and just ask that you ask the Lord to take you to deeper places. So um, just to, to give you some context of where I'm coming from, so the main point um, that I have is that we must grieve the painful losses of our past seasons of our life so we can embrace both, both the present and the future. Um, when we talk about losses, one of the things I think about is that there is a message that's out there right now um, in a lot of church communities, and you've probably maybe heard this term, and it's called the prosperity gospel. And I must say, I'm like, I have absolutely no idea when, where this comes from because I can tell you that when I read the Bible for myself, I see something completely different. And so as I was thinking about this talk and, you know, coming up with what I wanted to, you know, process in this, I was thinking about, you know, what does grief look like in the Bible? So, I mean, this is just a super quick snapshot because literally within 10 minutes, this is the list that I came up with. And I didn't go deeper or further, but I just, I wanted to throw this out there. Um, so I started by thinking, in the Old Testament, I was thinking about 
Hannah, and I was thinking about Rachel and Sarah, and in the New Testament, Elizabeth, that they all struggled with infertility. I was thinking about Hannah specifically, and she lost her confidence when there was a woman who made fun of her over and over. I was thinking about Abraham and Sarah. They lost their home, and they lost their community when God asked them to go. These are just single losses. I mean, I could go through lots of each of these people for sure. Joseph, what about he lost his dreams? He lost his brothers, his father, his mom had already died giving birth to his brother. We have Moses. He lost his identity. He didn't know who he was. He was here he was an, an um, Israelite who was raised as an Egyptian. And we see he has this, you know, whole crisis that he experiences when he kills an Egyptian and then flees. So um, you think about that. Moses also <laughs> dealt with anxiety. You know, I think about leading over a million people who at points turned on him and literally wanted to kill him. There might be a little stressful situations there. What about Dinah in the Old Testament? Testament. She lost her innocence um, when she was raped. And then we had this whole story where her brothers go after those who had gotten her. What about Hosea? His wife Gomer has an affair. What about Eve? She lost a child. And think about this. She lost a child because her other son murdered her son. Um, you know, think about that. David, the loss of his relationship with his son. We could name a lot with David. He lost his relationship with his son. His own son was trying to kill him. What about Jonah? Ministry wasn't what he wanted. You know, he wanted God to give him a different ministry. Um, what about Job? Jeez, we could go on and on. <laughs> Financial hardship, he lost his children. He lost his own health. And then his wife turns on him. You know, in the end, as he's going through all of this, what about Jeremiah? He feels abandoned by God. Let's go into the New Testament. Some Paul loses his status in the church. Mary, the mother of Jesus, you know, think about, she was, a, you know, a young girl who ends up pregnant. So she loses her reputation. You know, she almost lost her fiancé. You know, she went through a period of time where she thought Joseph was gone. What about Jesus? I mean, we could go on and on. You know, we talked, we sung about the fact that he can understand there's nothing that he hasn't experienced other than sin. Um, but what about, you know, I think about Jesus, his closest friend. You think about Peter, James, and John. You know, the end of his ministry, you know, he prophesies to Peter that he's going to deny him. His best friend turns against him. You know, what are your losses? Which of these people's stories intersect with your story? Is it anxiety? Is it death of a loved one? Is it sickness? Is it financial hardship? Is it a friendship that's gone bad? Is it adultery, infertility? Is it rape, a miscarriage? Ministry is not what you planned. People treating you poorly. Your church family walked away from you. Um, loneliness, on and on. We could list what these look like. Our losses are not unique. Um, our, our losses are, you know, there's a lot of losses that can be similar, but each of our um, losses individually are unique to ourselves. And Satan is always eager to use our brokenness to drive us further away from God um, and keep us from prayer and repentance. And so I, this is just a bonus passage that I put as I was, like, looking through this. Um, and this is a passage of Isaiah 53, 3 through 5. And it says, I was thinking about this with Jesus, and I love that this was a communion Sunday. Um, and he talks about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men. But listen to this. He was a man of sorrows. And he was acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hides their faces, he was despised and esteemed not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed." 
what I want you to hear in this, you know, for so many years, I knew that Jesus went to the cross for my sin, but he also went to carry my sorrows and my griefs. That is a powerful message that I missed for so long. Um, and so, like I said, the main thing, you know, we have to grieve these painful losses because if not, we will not effectively be able to move into the present um, or into the future where God wants to. If you don't process them well, um, the losses will continue to own you long after you left that season. And I can tell you that is so true. I can see where when I didn't deal with stuff, it just, it was still there um, in the midst of it. Um, if you do not deal with the pain and the grief, you take the pain and dysfunction into your next situation. What happens is that every loss and every grief, I want you to hear this, has lies that are attached to it and attached to that pain. And the enemy wants us to believe those lies, and he wants us to take those lies that you begin to believe about yourself because of this pain, and it's going to come into the next situations and relationships as well. The lies take root, and you believe things into the next season. On the other hand, when you grieve your losses well, it prepares you to embrace what God has for you next. So I have on here um, and on your sheet a definition of grieving. And to grieve or to mourn is to express sorrow. And I love this definition. It's to get what's on the inside out. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What a promise that is. Um, blessed are those who get what's on the inside out, because they will be comforted. They have healing, the resolution, the satisfaction, God's love and truth is in one place. Um, so I think it's helpful to be able to think of this as, you know, a definition of sorrow. So the main passage I'm going to look at today, and I put it on your sheet, is from Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. So we're going to read this. Um, the spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and a day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. So how, when we comfort those who mourn, ourselves or other people, we're helping ourselves or others to get what's on the inside out. And we're bringing God's healing of mercy and grace. And this passage literally says that we can help people to exchange a garment of despair for a garment of praise, trade in ashes for a crown of beauty, and mourning for oil of gladness. But what I want you to recognize is that this is not automatic and that this is a process. So the question then is, how do we do this? What do we do? You know, what does this look like? Um, and I have a couple points that we're just going to kind of walk through. You know, this is certainly not exhaustive. Um, but my first point is about grieving is that it's necessary to grieve because we all have losses. I can tell you there's nobody in this room, even from the youngest one in here, that has not experienced losses already um, in our lives. Um, so what is the Holy Spirit bringing to mind today? I just want you to start thinking about this. What are the losses that God's bringing to mind in your own life? Um, and I have a warning for you. You know, oftentimes when we think about grieving, we often will go to maybe what seems like our biggest loss. Um, you know, maybe the 
death of um, a spouse or a child or um, a marriage that, you know, fell apart. Um, and the one thing I would say is that oftentimes, especially within the church, we give time to grieve the big losses. Um, and we have a chance maybe to grieve those a little bit better. But some of the other losses in our lives, we often do not take the time to grieve those things. So what about, I want you to think about, what are things like your losses of your dreams? What about your losses of your hopes? What about your losses of friendships that was, you know, a friendship that was incredibly close? Um, you know, oftentimes people or ourselves will say, you just need to move on. Um, but these are some of the losses that will sidetrack us. Um, and I just want to, there's a, a book, um, Henry Nowen wrote a book called With Burning Hearts. And I just want you to hear this, and I put this on your sheet. There's a lot to, to this quote, so I wrote it down on there. Um, but if there is any word that summarizes well our pain, it is the word loss. We have so, we have lost so much. Sometimes it's as if life is just one series of losses. When we were born, we lost the safety of the womb. When we went to school, we lost the security of family life. When we got our first job, we lost the freedom of our youth. When we got married, we lost the joy of many options. When we grew old, we lost our good looks, our old friends, and our fame. When we became weak or ill, we lost our physical independence, and when we die, we lose it all. All of these losses are part of the ordinary life, but whose life is ordinary? The losses that settle themselves deeply in our hearts and minds are the loss of intimacy through separations, the loss of safety through violence, the loss of innocence through abuse, the loss of friends through betrayal, the loss of love through abandonment. Perhaps many of these dark losses are away from most of us, but nobody can escape the agonizing losses that are part of the everyday existence, the loss of our dreams. The bottom line is nobody gets out of life without losses. Um, sometimes I think it's interesting, too, when I was, had to write this grief journal, one of the things they talked about is that we also need to learn to grieve the end of good seasons of our life. So now I was like, oh, now we have a whole other <laughs> area that I hadn't thought about. Um, but, you know, I was thinking about this in my own life, and recently um, our daughter, our youngest, we have four kiddos, and our youngest, Elle, started kindergarten for um, the first time. And I remember I dropped her off in her room, and her teacher's super sweet, and we were so excited that she was able to go to school. And I walked out, and I could feel the tears start coming down. And I got into the car, and I just, you know, I let myself, I normally wouldn't do this because I, you know, would just stuff it all. Um, but I let myself just cry and just, you know, like, you know, just kind of like mourn what was there um, and just be able to, you know, come to the place of, of grieving. And when you grieve a previous season well, um, it lets you come into the new season with a fresh resolve. And so when I was able to do that, you know, I thought I could have easily like held Elle back from all that God had for her instead of like wanting her to move on to this next season and, you know, go to kindergarten, start learning and thriving and growing. And I also could easily miss what God had for me in this season because he's rearranging my life and my schedule, you know, while she's going. Um, and so I could have like held on to her um, and just missed what God had, you know, for both of us, you know, in this season. And that's where it's important to even think about, like I said, grieving things that seemingly are good, um, but being able to take time to grieve those. So the second point, if we don't grieve, we deaden our hearts and compartmentalize our lives. When I say we deaden our hearts, um, is that when we go through pain and loss and we don't grieve, we often will numb the pain 
and we'll often lower our expectations. Have you ever done that before? Um, if I don't hope too much, maybe it won't hurt too much. Um, deferred hope makes the heart sick. We deaden our hearts and we lose our dreams. And the second thing that we can do is we compartmentalize our, compartmentalize our lives. So oftentimes we'll have a public life. You know, a public life, I look this way out here, but inside, you know, I am just, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, not at a good place. We can present a good front, but we can numb ourselves with pain. Um, we can numb the pain with, you know, things, all kinds of different things, you know, um, Alcohol, drugs, pornography, even just, you know, social media, TV, games, you know, all those kinds of things, you know, we can just, you know, kind of deaden ourselves in those places. One author said, instead of dealing with the losses, we try to silence the longing. This seems to be our only hope. And so when we lose heart, um, we may think, how many losses can one heart take? Um, and that's, you know, an interesting question, you know, but there is nothing that the world can throw at us that God can't heal. So it doesn't matter. You may think, I have had so many losses. You don't understand. But I can tell you that God is big enough to handle all of them. Um, and he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Um, you know, I had a woman I was meeting with recently who, I mean, it was one of those things where I thought, how much more could one heart take? Um, you look at Job, you think the same thing. You know, there he was, he lost everything. I mean, down to, like I said, you know, his own physical health, his wife abandoning him, uh, his friends <laughs> walk away. I mean, he really had nothing left. Um, you know, he was angry at God. Um, you know, felt like God turned at him, but that was where he encountered God in some of his deepest and most meaningful lessons of his life. Um, the author continues to say, if we deny the wounds and we try to minimize them, we deny a part of our heart, and oftentimes we'll end up with a shallow optimism. Have you ever heard that within a church? Like what that sounds like is, oh, God's so good. Um, that's not a bad thing to say at all, but you know a difference in somebody saying that when they've come from a deep place of encountering the love of the Father and going through their pains and their losses where they can say, this was so hard, but God was so good. That is very different than shallow optimism that just says, you know, that it makes it like you should just move on. You know, just, nope, God's good. Everything's fine. Um, that's not what God, you know, wants for us to do. On the other hand, if we embrace the losses of the life as the final word, we will despair and lose heart. Um, and I've seen people who've gone through losses, and those losses still define them today. And I think about, there was a woman that I met um, when Michael and I were early in ministry, and um, I was in my early 20s, and I met this woman um, whose daughter, she, and this woman was in her late 70s, early 80s, and this daughter's woman, this, this woman's daughter had been killed um, by a man of a dif different ethnic race. And she told me this story. You know, I, I remember right where I was standing. You know, she told me this story, and she was so angry, and she was so racist. Um, and you could tell that the day that that event happened, she never grew beyond that event. And that event had happened almost 40 or 50 years before that. And I'm not minimizing at all what happened or the fact that um, the process would be hard. But grieving well looks like grieving and then being able to move beyond to what God has for you next in your life. And I can tell you, she never moved beyond that. Um, and she, she was caught in that place for the rest of her life. Um, just as a side note, some people will say, how long is the grieving season? 
You know, and um, counselors would would tell you that it's dependent upon the loss. Um, they would say things like, you know, if you've lost a child, it's like a two-year grieving process. If you've lost a marriage, it's a year grieving process. Nobody really knows. But trying to emerge too soon from losses um, can really be harmful, and you have to take time to grieve and to, to allow the Lord to minister your pain. I think sometimes we just think, I grieved this last week, and it's like, you might need to just keep allowing the Lord to minister to you. Number three, we avoid grieving because we don't like to face pain. Um, you, you have to revisit the painful emotion of that season. And you may say to me, you know, Brooke, you don't know what I went through. You have no idea how painful it was. Why would you want us to do this? Um, because I'm telling you, it's the only way to walk through freedom and healing. And I'm not minimizing the pain. You know, I've gone to hard places of allowing the Lord to minister. When you begin to feel the pain of that season in a healthy context, what God can do is he can uproot it. Um, and he can uproot the lies that were planted in that time. And he can plant his truth into that season. Also, if you've shut down your emotions in an area... Um, what you do when you shut down in pain, you also shut down in joy. And um, what I have on your sheet there, it's called the pain-joy continuum. And this is so interesting. Um, when you don't deal with pain well, so if pain's on this side, you move the wall of pain in on this side, but you also move the wall of joy in. So now you don't feel pain because you've avoided that, but you also don't feel joy. So you're living this very monochrome existence. And I can say, I understand, like, that was so much. What I didn't deal with pain, you know, there wasn't a lot of joy that was happening. Um, many people would say, you know, say to you, I've lost my joy. And I would tell you that if that's the case, you probably need to look at their losses. You know, probably need to look at, you know, what happened. And you need to go to the place of tearing down that loss. Um, we need to say to God that I'm willing to go back to the loss. I trust you to uproot the lie because when you tear down the walls of the pain and the healing comes, the joy comes as well. And it's a beautiful process to experience when your emotions can be fully um, healed. Number four, the ways that we deal with pain, um, you know, and there's a lot of different ways, and we all kind of tend to do this. We probably all do all of them at times, but we probably have like our one um, as well. So we can deny or hide the pain. Um, we might work hard at like other activities that can distract. When we deny and we don't deal with it, it's like this. Um, the analogy is like this. If you had a beach ball, do you ever have a, like a big beach ball and play with that in a pool? And did you ever try to like shove it under the water, you know, as like a, you know, a child, and next thing you know, it, whoop, it pops up over on the other side. And um, that's how it is when we try to hide or deny our pain. It's not gone. It's going to pop up over here, pop up over here. Um, what about number two? We can rationalize our pain. Um, this is the one I'm really, really, really good at. Um, so I would, you know, use this all the time. So yes, I have losses, but this is nothing compared to the starving children in Africa. Or this is nothing compared, even like bring it close. Like my friend is going through this or this person, I know they're walking through, you know, this horrible, you know, diagnosis and, you know, the pain of this or they just lost a loved one. And it's like, okay, what I'm going through is nothing compared to that. But I want you to hear this. Our pain is our pain, and it's affecting you. So when we compare it, it's a tactic of the enemy to make it that you don't need to deal with this. You just move on. You know, it's not a big deal. It's not going to affect you. It's affecting you. Um, and so just keeping in mind your pain is your pain. 
Um, we can also be filled with anger and bitterness. Um, you know, I'm sick of being a victim, so I'm just going to be angry. <laughs> it makes them feel like you're in control. So, um, and I want you to hear this. Anger is not a primary emotion. When you start to, you know, like process through or, you know, if you've had any counseling um, background or, you know, been in counseling, they'll tell you this. I didn't know this for a long time. Anger is not a primary emotion, but a secondary emotion. So it's driven by something else. So what's under the anger? Is it rejection? Is it disappointment? Is it hurt? You have to get to the point of like looking at what's beneath that. Um, what about addictions. And like I said, you know, addictions can look like alcohol, drugs. What about workaholism? That is an addiction that can look kind of good, but it's not healthy. What about ministry? That can be an addiction. It can look good, but man, if you're not, if you're using it to hide the pain, um, busyness, addicted to noise, if you cannot be alone, that was me. <laughs> I hated being alone. Now I love, you know, being able to be in his presence. What about hurrying? Just being hurried. You know, it's like we do all these things to just numb it and to not have to go to these places. But finally, we can experience biblical grief and mourning. We have to mourn our losses. Uh, we cannot talk, to, talk or act them away, but we can shed tears over them. We can allow ourselves to grieve deeply. And to grieve is to allow our losses to tear apart the feelings of security and safety, but lead us to the painful truth of our brokenness. And you may be thinking, why in the world would I want to do this? Your feelings of safety and security are an illusion. You cannot keep yourself safe and secure. Only Jesus can do this. When you grieve, it breaks your independence and self-control. From a negative self-control in your brokenness, you say, Jesus, if you cannot help me, I cannot help myself. Grieving will lead you to the Savior. Henry Nouwen says, but during all this pain, I have this on your handout, there is a strange and yet very surprising voice of the one who says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. This is unexpected news. There is a blessing hidden in our grief. Not those who comfort are blessed, but those who mourn. Somehow in the midst of our tears, a gift is hidden. Somehow in the midst of our mourning, the first steps of the dance take place. And somehow the cries that well up from our losses belong to our songs of gratitude. His joy comes in the morning when we get what's on the inside out. And um, you know, if we look at the results of biblical grieving, um, there's five things I just have that will come. If we allow number five, the biblical grieving of doing it, to come, this is what it will look like. Um, and it's an important point. If you understand these things, when you start to see these five things, that's why I wanted to send them home with you, it will determine if you're done with your season of grieving. When these five things start to appear in your life, um, you will know that you have finished the process well. And I just want to give you a little tip here. You may think that um, God might bring something up, and you may think, I already grieved this. I'm done with that one. <laughs> Do you ever have that happen? I've had that recently. I think as I'm, like, you know, just stepping into more areas of grieving, I'm like, nope, we already did that one. I'm not going back to it. But I can tell you, sometimes he just wants to go a little bit deeper. And I love the analogy, I use it all the time, of the layers of an onion, that you peel off a layer of an onion. But what happens if you have an onion and you peel off a layer or you're cutting an onion, you know, and you put that close to your eye, you will start crying, right? But if I take that onion and I set it aside for a couple days, I put that onion up to my face, nothing happens. 
It's done. So sometimes God just wants to peel that layer back one more time, and he wants to go to it. And all of a sudden, the tears might come again, but he has a new word for me in that grief. He has a new way of defining what had happened or a deeper way to be able to go through that place. So don't, don't say that, you know, I've already done that. Just allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. So what the first benefit of biblical grieving, it allows you to live proactively rather than reactively. Sometimes our lives may look like um, a puppy that was beaten. Did you ever see a dog that was abused and somebody goes to walk close to it to pet it? You know, and they, all they want to do is, you know, give this puppy a little love and the puppy like cringes and looks back. You know, it's because that person, that, that dog, you know, is, is remembering the abuse, um, of its former owner, owner, and so it flinches and it's living reactively from the pain of the past. The pain of our previous season is dictating our responses today. So when we have not grieved well, we're not living proactively. Um, God is doing now in this season, but we're living reactively to what happened in the past. So when we grieve well, we can, you know, when pain comes at us, we don't have to react to it. We've been healed in that place, and so we can, um, we can um, live proactively. The second thing, biblical grieving, it allows or increases our emotional capacity to handle life and people more fully. Emotional capacity can be de- defined as the ability to handle stressful situations. When you're filled with anxiety and fear, and pain, and something comes at you, you just can't handle it. So the grieving process, think of it as you're emptying your emotional tank. You know, each time you grieve, you're getting all of that out. Um, So when you're grieving, so then when the next crisis hits, you have a capacity to be able to handle it. So all those times I just, I never grieved, never grieved, then there's no capacity to be able to handle the next thing that comes. Um, Number three, biblical grieving gives you freedom and permission to risk again and set big goals. When you have disappointment and hurt, you will back off your dreams and deaden your heart. You lose the courage to risk. So when you grieve well, you get to the place where you can go to that experience that hurt you. You can begin to process it. You can let it go. And you can think, I'm ready to risk again. When your heart is restored it's a good sign that you have grieved well. When you can start to dream again, start to think, what's God saying? What's he want to do with me? Um, It's a good sign that you're at a, a place that you've done this process well. Number four, biblical grieving, um, will keep your heart soft and gives you an empathy for others for other losses. When you grieve, it increases your capacity um, for others who are going through similar things. For instance, if you've gone through infertility, you may have a compassion for women who are struggling in that area. If you've walked through the death of a, a child or a loved one, you may have a capacity you know, for other people who are going through similar things. If you'd struggled with an addiction, you see that that may be a place that you have just you know a, a compassion for other people. And this may even be where God births passion and ministries. I want you to hear that. If you grieve it well, these are things where God can make you so passionate about this area. You know, I was, in, I was addicted to this, and so I see it, you know, in other people, and I'm able to help them walk through this. And the fifth thing, biblical grieving restores your capacity to trust God and trust people again. Sometimes we get mad at God, um, and we have to be real with this. Um, 
and that comes through our grieving and our losses. And I just want you to know God can take it. He's big enough to handle our anger. He loves when we get honest with him. And so our trust can be restored in God and others. Um, and I love that idea. I have mentioned this before, but, you know, this always resonates with me when I think about the Psalms and um, some of our... Um, you know, some of us here in this room love listening to um, Tim Keller and, you know, some of his messages. And he and his wife, Kathy, wrote a book called The Psalms of David. Um, and in this book, they talk about, you know, how the Psalms were written and how they grieved really well. Um, and so when the Psalms were written, you know, they were very, I mean, you read those Psalms and, you know, it's a good place to go when you're grieving. And they are so, you know, passionate. It says, you know, God, I'm so angry. I'm so mad. I can't believe I'm going through this. But the end of all of them, except for one, at the bookend on the other end. They come all the way to the other side and they say, but I trust you. And in our Western world, they would say, we keep it in so much closer. So we never go to the place of, I'm so angry, I'm so mad. We say, it's okay, it's not a big deal. But then at this side of it, we often hold it where we say, God, why'd you let this happen to me? And so I think it's important to be able to, you know, go to the ends of, you know, of both extremes of being able to get raw, real, honest with our pain, but I trust you, God. And then at the end, it restores our trust not only with God, but with other people so we can trust people again. Um, and we see these benefits, you know, when we have grieved well. So these are things that you'll start to see in your life. Um, so to, you know, kind of come to the end of this, when you grieve um, your past, you have to get in touch with your heart and your pain and follow where the Holy Spirit is leading you. Um, so you may say, like, how do I do this? What I'm telling you, and I put this in there, is descriptive, and it's not prescriptive, okay? But, and what I'm saying here is that it's going to look different for each of you. But what this looked like for me when I started to learn how to grieve was the first thing is that you have to know the love of the Father for you. That is where this has to come out of. You have to be so convinced um, that God loves you. And for so much of my life and growing up in the church, I could give you the Sunday school answers and say that God loved me, God is good, I could sing all the songs. Um, but I would say it was a lot of it was head knowledge. And it wasn't until I really started to grieve and I started to get into my pain and I started to allow the love of the Father to wash over me. An example I was thinking of in this is that I read a Billy Graham novel, and it was or a biography. It was like this big. It was a super thick one. It was like, I don't know, like 1,200 pages. Um, and I learned a lot about Billy Graham, um, and it was really good. So I know a lot about him. And when we, um, but do I know Billy Graham? I've never met him. Like, I don't know what he likes to eat. I don't know what he smells like. I don't know, you know, the deta the intimate details about him. But I can tell you, like, when I was thinking about this, you know, this analogy I was thinking about with my kids, I know my kids. I know what each of my four kids, I know what they like. I know how different they are. You know, I know how to be able to interact with them. So there's a big difference between knowing in a head knowledge and knowing in a heart knowledge. And when we get to really know the love of the Father, out of that place, we can come to a place of being able to grieve. So I would just say, um, you know, get into learning more about the love of the Father. Uh, you know, when I used to read the Bible, I read the Bible as, you know, a legalistic, like, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. The more I understand the love of the Father, when I read the Bible, it is a love story from beginning to end. He is a pursuing God who loves me enough that all he wants is to be passionately in love with me. You know, I say this line, and, uh, you know, I, for a long time it was hard for me to say it because I didn't really believe it, but I'm his favorite. 
and so are you. <laughs> yeah, and it's so true. Can you say that? Can you really say that from the depth of your heart that I am his favorite? You know, and out of that place, you can grieve with him. You know, he loves you so much. The second thing is we need the Holy Spirit to lead us to where to grieve, okay? We can't do this all at one time. The analogy of the onion, it doesn't chop right through us, you know? And if it, you know, like God is so gentle with me. He could have taken me to the core, but he knew I couldn't have handled it, you know? And so he just gently, he's like, okay, Brooke, today we're going to go here. Oh, tomorrow we're going to go here. Next week we're going to go over here. But I'm telling you, when you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you, it's a whole different process. Um, and I've, as I've begun to sift through my past, I'm so thankful that he does it in such a gentle way. Um, and the one thing I just want to say is that God is a gentleman, and he will not force you into this healing process. We have a choice if you will go where he leads, you will find healing. These are promises in scripture. When you do this more and more, not that it gets easier. I'm not telling you it gets easier. I mean, I feel like in some ways, I, like there are times where I'm like, oh, I wish I could just go back to where I had no emotions. I was really, really good at that. And like, there was not a lot of tears. <laughs> and there's some parts of that that, you know, I could think would be easier. But I can, tr I can tell you the more that I have done this, that I can trust Jesus with my pain and I can know that the good results are coming and it makes me more willing to do it again and again. Again. We have to go into Jesus' presence. And for me, honestly, as I have done this, I, I, you know, like I said, this is, this, is, um, dis, not, um, this is descriptive, not prescriptive. So, But for me, as I have done this, I can tell you I've learned to, a lot of silence and solitude and sitting in the presence of the Lord. And the pictures that he gives me are beautiful. And I can tell you, one time when I was grieving something that was super, you know, difficult and um, I, God gave me this beautiful picture where it was like we were, I was waiting and waiting and waiting for something to happen in this, you know, relationship and nothing was changing. And God gave me this picture that he was sitting on a hillside with me and we had my, my arms were tucked around my knees and he was like, Brooke, I'm sitting with you and we're waiting together. Now, I'm telling you, he's going to show up in your life like this if you allow him to. And the other thing he gives me, this is my all the time, and it's going to look different for you because I picture that Jesus and I are sitting on a comfy couch, and it is a really comfy couch, and it's got lots of pillows, and I love blankets, and we're, we're hanging out together, and we're just sitting there talking. And that's what it looks like to process my grief with Jesus. This is not something that has to be this, like, institutionalized kind of thing. It's just he loves us so much, and he wants to sit there with us in our pain. Um, and then the third thing, we have to forgive. Forgiveness is, bringing, is giving up the right to wrong those who hurt us. Honestly, I know we could do a whole talk on forgiveness, um, but I can tell you when we don't forgive, we get stuck in bitterness and resentment. We have to forgive others. We have to forgive ourselves. Oftentimes, it's ourselves, and we have to forgive God. You know, oftentimes we're angry at God. We're frustrated. It's all okay, but we have to walk through, um, you know, being able to forgive. And, um, and so... Um, Many of us have tears that are long overdue and have been waiting for a long time to come out. We forget that the hurt and the pain and the losses, uh, the wounds of childhood or last week, we forget how much it's affected you. 
And I just want to say that the Holy Spirit wants to bring to light the dark places, and he wants to show up. So if you're willing, if you would just close your eyes with me right now, I just want to lead you through a quick exercise. Um, But first, if you're sitting there today with your eyes closed, and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, today is the day. If you have not come to understand the love of the Father, um, all you have to do is acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, And believe that Jesus died for your sins, that he rose again, that he sits at the right hand of the Father, that he went to the cross to bear your sin as well as your pain and your sorrow. So if that is you today, I would just ask that you would acknowledge um, that, you know, believing in that and that you would, um, today is the day of salvation, that you would give your heart um, to Jesus. For the rest of us in this room who have come to a saving faith, um, but maybe you're living Instead of living like sons and daughters, you're living like the servants or the gardeners who work on the grounds of an estate. And I want you to picture in your mind's eye this beautiful estate in this house. Um, You know, oftentimes you may think of yourself as peeking in the windows and you're catching glimpses of the love and acceptance that fills the house. You long to be a part of a family that shares in joy and intimacy but you just keep trying to behave well enough to be invited inside. Keep picturing that house of God's in your mind. And I just want to tell you that you are invited inside where you belong. God is more loving and gracious than you could ever imagine. We know performance-based love, but we can barely imagine the love that comes from grace. We try to earn it. We feel that somehow we can lose it as well. But that is the secret to the intimacy and healing. Keep responding to his call home. Sit on the couch with your father. Ephesians 1, 4 says, God chose me to be his child before the world was created. Hear this. He chose you. This house is decorated just for you. Go in. Relax. He's opening the door for you. Picture yourself going in and sitting. Be loved. You don't have to earn anything. Just sit with him in your grief. Sit with him in your loss. Also sit with him in your joy and your celebrations. Share a relationship. Learn his voice. Hear his heart for you. You may think the lie that you have to be spiritually mature to know his love and to experience his love in deep ways, that is so not true. You just need to begin spending time with him. Let your deep wounds and unmet longings for belonging drive you into the arms of the Father. Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that you would reveal to each person in this room what pain and loss you want us to release today. What's the Holy Spirit bringing to your mind right now? It may seem small, but just think of that one loss right now.
Amen. 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 God, we thank you for that testimony. Keep, I just want you to keep thinking about what this looks like. And God, we, just, we thank you for how you met Diane in a 15-year-old that was pretty much forced to get an abortion. And God, you gave her a picture of that baby. That's how you meet us in our deepest needs. And God, I just pray that you would continue to encounter us. So keep that, that loss at the center of your mind. Let today start the healing process. God, we pray for more stories like Diane's to keep going. I want you to rest your hands in your lap and turn your palms down like this. And I want you to release your pain and loss that you may have been holding on to for years or even decades. God, show us your love. Speak your love. We release this pain to you today. Speak your love over each one of us. I want you to begin in your heart to name the pain, the loss, the rejection, the abandonment. Now ask God to reveal the lie that you believed in that loss. God, show us what we carried for so long, the lies that the enemy planted in those losses. In Jesus' name, we break off those lies. We say that they are not true. God, speak your truth over your sons and daughters. Replace those lies with your truth. Now, I want you to turn your hands up and receive. God, we receive your love in the places that we let go. We want all that you have for us. We want to walk in freedom and healing. We know that today is just the start, but we're willing. Continue to lead and guide us where we need to grieve. We love you. We trust you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.